love, knowledge, action. These are the three fundamental elements linking him with the divine. The divine expresses itself in all the three, and all the three can be utilized as channels of approach to the divine. In his integral yoga, Sri Aurobindo reconciles the conflicting claims of these traditional three parts of knowledge in the Indian tradition. He points out how, if we admit that the expression of the divine in man is not limited to one power, one faculty, there is no difficulty. In fact, all of us are aware that there is in us the faculty, the element of knowledge, will, and love. The mind, the will, the heart. Now these are the three modes of self-expression of the divine in each man. It may be all right to start at any one point, from any one of these, where one is most awake. By nature, I may be more developed in mind. I start with a study of what others have said, on the basis of their experience, on the basis of their speculation, backed up by experience and realization. I start on the way of knowledge. But as one goes, not only understanding the truths that are taught, but assimilating them in one's own consciousness, and translating the knowledge to the best of one's capacity in day-to-day -day life. As one begins to understand the divinity as expressed, as realized, whether in one's depths or in the heights of one's being, there is an awakening of love, of devotion to the divine that one has begun to know. Knowledge culminates in love. True knowledge leads to true love of the divine. Otherwise, it remains a pure philosophical speculative knowledge. Knowledge that is true to the consciousness, Knowledge that is assimilated in one's consciousness is bound to awake love as its consequence. And once there is knowledge crowned by love, the will automatically and spontaneously blossoms forth in pouring out the various powers and energies of the being 
in consecration to the divine, so experienced in knowledge, so experienced in love. So even though one starts from the standpoint of knowledge, on the path of knowledge, sincerely pursued, pursued in, an in, in a comprehensive way and not exclusive way, the path debouches into the path of love and leads to the path of work. Ultimately, knowledge, love, works all combine to produce a rich and many-sided realization. Similarly, I start with the path of devotion. I have a spontaneous welling up of feelings and emotions to God, to him or her, who embodies God for me, pay towards anything that recalls the, the divinity to me. That is an indication that that part in me is ready. And I have to make that as the focal point for the initial concentration of all my energies and powers, faculties, and make a beginning on that path. Gradually, however, the more and more devotion spreads, stabilizes itself, deepens itself into adoration, and adoration melts into love, I begin to realize that the divine which I worshipped, the divine which I waited upon in the solitude of my heart, is not confined to my initial conception. More and more aspects of the divine begin to reveal themselves, and the natural knowledge begins to dawn about the integral nature of the divine. The key is indeed love, but as the key turns, treasures of knowledge reveal themselves, and they add a certain comprehensiveness and width of outlook to the devotee. And if that knowledge that the divine is spread out, spread over, if the warmth and the evolution that results from love for the divine is true, one cannot remain satisfied by bottling up those experiences in oneself. One delights in consecrating all of oneself, thought, feelings, emotions, activities, even physical and vital movements consecrating them to God, there is an effortless channelizing of the dynamic will in the path of work. The more one work, work, one work in the spirit of love, with the background of this knowledge, of the comprehensive 
manifestation of God, the richer becomes the quality of the works that are done. So also, if one is neither gifted with the clarities of mind, with the clarities of knowledge, if one finds the heart dry for any reason, due to any discipline or any kind of frustration, one finds the doors of the heart locked and one is incapable, apparently incapable, of any warmth of feeling towards the divine whom one does not see physically. But if he has the will to turn his life Godward, then he takes the path of works. Whatever activities are assigned to him by the circumstances, he turns them into channels of outpouring of his consciousness towards the divine. He does the work in a spirit of disinterested service. And in the measure of the sincerity he brings to bear, in his practice, on his practice of the yoga, of, of the path of works, there is a loosening of the heart string. He begins to feel a certain warmth, a certain closeness to him, to the Master, to whom he offers his work. There is an automatic growth of inner relation and with the formation and growth of this inner relation, there is a growth of sentiment, a growth of devotion, which he begins to cherish. That begins, the, that opens, the fount of love. And as his will gets trained in selfless consecration, his heart backs up the endeavor by adoration and warmth of sentiment developing into love, he begin, he feels and begins to cognize the different features of the presence of the Master. Bit by bit, he begins to understand and respond to the presence of the Divine in him, around him, and above him. Thus, from whichever point you start of works, of love, or of knowledge, properly pursued, every path gathers up the realizations of the other two paths, 
and in the end the seeker the integral yoga finds that all of them combine to produce a magnificent orchestra of the individual harmony in terms of a divine diapason this forms a kind of introduction to share with those treatment of the way of love all that he wants to emphasize is that this way of love is not an exclusive path it combines in itself if not in the beginning as it develops as it culminates the gain of the path of knowledge and the path of one from the divine point of view all are equal it is only to our petty human standpoint dominated by the one sided knowledge of mind that one may appear superior and one inferior but in the divine scheme of things as you know there is nothing inferior there is nothing superior all has its role its legitimate work it all depends upon the spirit with which we look at things everything has its place when looked at in the proper perspective love knowledge action these are the three fundamental elements being of man linking him with the divine the divine expresses itself in all the three and all the three can be utilized as channels of approach to the divine if all are combined with the judicious selection and assimilation the result is quicker and richer it adds to my humility to welcome you all to this house where i have learned what it is to love it is from here that i have received the first vibrations of love from the mother it is from the terrace of this house that i had the first glimpse of the mother's white aura of which i had spoken to you in one of our talks it is at the door of this house where mother has stopped the car and given the flower of surrender to my teacher 
when he was badly ill it was here that i used to stand about quarter to 4 when mother was driving to the tennis court for years together and she would bestow her tender smile on me as she was passing and my whole life revolved and has been revolving on her smile of grace for my sadhana my way of yoga has not been one of knowledge though it would appear as if i am a man of knowledge nor is it one of works though there is there is apparently no dirt of works in my life but essentially mine is a way of love of devotion of adoration of love when i was asked in the very early years of my life here what boon i would ask of the divine where i given the opportunity i remember having said devotion for the mother and when i in one of my first interviews with the mother when there was this, when there was mention of it i told the mother that there was not the spring of devotion do mentally i had great and deep regard i was mentally surrendered still there was not the continuous flow of devotion she just asked with half a smile oh you don't i said no mother and since then i have not known a moment when there has not been that spontaneous flow of love for mother or for anything that is associated with mother that bears the name of mother having had this experience for certain decades it does not it did not require much persuasion for me to accept when she said later on that love is the greatest power on earth that love is the greatest easiest gate opening on the divine has been said by many many mystics all over the world but that love is a power and the greatest power at that i do not know if anyone else has said it in fact in our human way of putting things love is considered to be a weakness love is considered to be a sentiment which 
people of power, people of might, people of strength, looked down upon as the prerogative of weaklings. Perhaps it applies what passes for love among human relations. But even there, mother's outlook was, has been quite different. She would not condemn human love as most of the ascetic traditions in India and elsewhere do. She, ha she has always held that human love is the first imperfect expression of the true love which is trying to manifest itself on earth, bounded as we are, ignorance, egoism, falsehood, it takes the form of self-regarding love. Some may call it lust if it is mixed with physical passion. But whatever it is, it is self-regarding. It may start with a movement of giving out, of self-giving to the other person. But as one goes on, one discovers the various strands in this human love where every movement of going is accompanied by a subtle demand that it should be responded to. There has to be a give and take. Otherwise, they complain of one-way traffic. There is a demand. There is an expectation, expressed or otherwise. This is what Mother says, bargaining. This habit of bargaining that starts and continues on the human level prolongs itself even in our relations with the divine in the earlier stages or even longer depending upon when the process of purification and catharsis is started. The human love is a step towards divine love. Take it from the mother that one who is not capable of human love is going to find it extremely difficult to open to the divine love. For the first indispensable step in both is the willingness and the capacity to give oneself here at the lower stage, in the lower form, to give oneself with the expectation of something in reward, in return, whereas in the higher form, there is no expectation. There is only a self-giving again and again. Whether it is a love between a man and a woman, or a mother and a child, or between members of same society or family, these are only variations in degree. 
by texts which are called the Upanishads, it is unequivocally declared that one loves another not because it is one's wife or because it is one's husband, but because of the self. The capital self, mind you, not the egoistic self or the desire self. There is one divine, one self, stationing itself in me, stationing itself in you, in another. Once we come into contact, the self here leaps up to recognize its own placement in another body and call. If there is not that immediate call, it only means there are so many layers or veils of ignorance yet to be crossed. When these veils are not there, when the self recognizes and sends out its emanation calling the other, there what, that is what is called affinity. This love is the greatest factor for unity. We speak of world unity, of collectivity, collective consciousness, Gnostic consciousness, Gnostic community, which is held as the ideal before Uruville, as it was held before the ashram for a long time. But how can this community come into being unless each member, each unit opens oneself to this divine love? And this divine love cannot take root, cannot sprout unless the element that constricts, the element that imprisons, the element that narrows, the ego is eliminated. One has to die to oneself before one can be born in God's love. This is the importance of love. We may know, we may work, but unless our hearts are broadened enough, our emotions are trained enough to flow broadly, to look widely, unless we are able to identify ourselves with those around us in all detail, do not keeping any reserved areas for our own, unless that is done, a real collectivity of the spiritual type cannot come. That has been the mother's message. Indeed, there are many aspects for the teaching of the mother. But if I were asked to sum up her teaching in one word, to sum up the message of her life in one word, it is love and love and love. And it is the great thrill that I have opened the section, the third part 
of the synthesis of yoga, the way of love. In order to be able to share with you all the little knowledge of love, the little experience of love, the drop of love that has meant an ocean for me, that has changed and altered the whole character of my life and the direction of my career. Speaking in the last talk, which was held at Oroville, we had seen that it is possible to strive and arrive at God by means of knowledge alone, by means of works alone, by way of love alone. But they are partial realizations. For a seeker of the integral path, Sri Aurobindo has emphasized that all the three should converge. You may start anywhere you are attracted to. If you are strong in your mind, if the mind is developed, if it is the knowledge of God that is blossoming in you, that attracts you, no doubt you start with that. You start with the discipline of the mind where you first separate things that are impermanent from the permanent, withdraw your consciousness, identify yourself with what is permanent and eternal. This is called the method of discrimination. Gradually, you detach yourself from what passes, the passing show as it is called, and center your consciousness on the eternal, the permanent, absolute truth, the divine. Once you do that, you allow your consciousness to be affected, to be filtered through that experience and every action and reaction has to proceed from this center of consciousness which has been shifted from outside to inside. You develop the frontiers of your mind from the narrowness of the creeds and dogmas of religion and philosophy to which men normally are accustomed. Recognize that nobody can have a monopoly of truth. Open the winds of your mind to fresh minds, windows of your mind to the fresh winds of change, development, and receive the breath of knowledge from wherever it comes. And what is most important, Translate this knowledge into practice. Otherwise, it remains, as Sri described in another connection, only on the top shelf where nobody touches. It has to be brought down in life. If I am mentally convinced that what the Upanishad says, that all is Brahman, all is God, it will not do for me to keep it as a mental formula. 
it has to be rendered into my day-to-day life. I have to allow it to color my feelings, my emotions, so that I do not look upon X, Y, and Z as some people other than myself, but as portions of God, the same God of whom I am a portion. Consequence, a natural flow of charity, an easy understanding, a spontaneous harmony, a welling out of love towards others. It will not do to parrot the formula of knowledge left by our ancient seers. Knowledge has to be translated. And in the measure in which you seek to translate the high knowledge that has been given to you, you find that you have to express it in your day-to-day movements. Your actions also become channels, not only of the radiation of knowledge, but means for the stabilization, for the establishment, for the confirmation of that knowledge in your own consciousness. And the result of this double operation, having knowledge in the mind, working out the knowledge in the ways of will, action, results in a natural love for the divine, for God, wherever you turn. So if you start with knowledge, you culminate in love, love of God everywhere. There are those who are dynamic, who have got a will to work. They don't care for knowledge. They say their hearts are dry. They have nothing to do with love, but they work. They, have, they are blessed with plenty of vitality and energy which they are willing to dedicate to the divine. Well, this, Master Yair says, start there. That is nature's indication where you are to start. You start. You place your will at the disposal of the divine. Make yourself an instrument. First, offer your works to the divine. And offer, the test of true offering is only to work and not to care for the results, not to always have an eye on the distant results, the fruits that is left to the divine. Once you offer works to the divine, it is the look out, look out to the divine what the results are. Once one starts doing disinterested service, the will gradually gets identified with the higher will of the divine. And Instead of offering to the divine, you are, you, and become, being a servant of the divine, you become an instrument of the divine. It is the divine energy that flows. It is the divine will that presides over your will and act. This sincere dedication, wholesale identification with the divine, acts leading to a complete identification of your consciousness with the consciousness of the master, of the mother who receives your offering, consecration and who works through you. You become the child of the mother, from a servant of, servant of the divine, a channel of the divine, you become a child of the divine. You are identified with the divine. 
And when you are identified with the divine, you know the springs of your action of love. Works culminate in love. And there is the third category. Those who start loving the divine, they feel a spontaneous devotion for divine. Not necessarily divine in a God in a church or in a temple. They feel the presence of the divine, maybe in a beautiful flower, maybe in the sea, maybe in the horizon, maybe in a beautiful person, maybe in music. Wherever there are a thousand ways in which the divine presence reveals itself, one flows, one feels a spontaneous rising of the consciousness. And it goes in adoration. One, have, one develops devotion for the divine. And as this devotion grows, the devotion changes its character into adoration. An inner and outer adoration, devotion expressing itself in worship, slowly changes into an attitude of inner adoration, which continues. Even when you are not physically worshipping, even when you are not physically engaged in the ritual of devotion. This inner adoration, as it deepens, melts into love. There is no more the consciousness that I am the adorer and you are the adored. That I love and the divine is to be loved. There is total oneness. With the birth of love, there starts the identification, the growth towards union with the divine. And union is the crown of love. As one loves more and more, one begins to know what one loves. There is a spontaneous manifestation of the contents of the being that one loves. And that is true knowledge. And love will not be bottled up. It is impossible for love of God to be corked into myself. It insists on flowing out. Flowing out in words, in emotions, in actions. Acts that reach out the grace of God, that speak out the love of God. Even when you start with love, the way of love, gathers on its way the gains of knowledge, the gains of work. So whichever way you start, knowledge, will, love, all the three combine. And we, as human beings of the 20th century, who have known a multiple development of personality, a many-sided development of consciousness, it is natural that we should seek for an integral realization. We have, in the course of the last two years, familiarized ourselves with the essential concepts of the yoga of works, followed by a broad outline of the yoga of knowledge, and now the crowning Faith is the yoga of love. It is only 
when we allow our understanding of the yoga of works and yoga of knowledge to blossom in the yoga of love that we shall be ready to put our first step in what sri aurobindo has called the yoga of self perfection the long way still but each one of us is fortunate here in this that each one has tasted a drop of divine love as poured out through the manifestation of the mother whether all who are here have had the privilege of personally meeting and having an exchange physical exchange with the mother or not the fact that they are here in this atmosphere which has been charged with the presence of sri arvind and the mother for over 5 decades is enough guarantee that they cannot escape the vibrations of love that are packed in this mystic community called the ashram and its extension called the uruguay we know what we mean by love at any rate in the context of yoga we know that love is based upon the principle of consciousness what is consciousness in the higher hemisphere the upper half is projected on earth as knowledge what is force consciousness force is projected as force strength power what is existence projects itself as being matter and what is delight what is bliss that projects itself as love and the seed of love just as knowledge is embodied in the mind power force in the will existence in matter similarly love is embodied in the psychic center the psychic being we have known in one of our talks that man first begins with the psychic essence that essence as one grows becomes the psychic element with the gathering of further experience the psychic element becomes a psychic entity the psychic entity with further development mainly spiritual becomes a psychic personality and when the psychic personality arrives at its acquis of development possible in the human body it unites with the over self with the divine representative presiding 
over our destiny, over the destiny of each individual. So love, the source of love, is in our depth. All religion, all spiritual life, is aimed at establishing a bridge between man as he is and God as he conceives. Most of the religions imagine or conceive of God as a power, as some existence above. Man is a pale reflection, a tiny entity who has to strive, to labor, and arrive at God. If religions posit an enormous distance between God and man, yoga aims to bridge the gulf and to arrive at the union of man with God. You start with the conceptions of religion as they are. But as you begin to practice yoga, the inner discipline for expansion of your consciousness, deepening of your consciousness, you begin to realize more and more that the divine, the Godhead, is after all only the highest term of your own being. When you work for God, you begin to realize as your will gets identified with the divine will, that ultimately, in the measure in which your will becomes one with his, you become one with him. So with love, you start worshipping God, yourself the worshipper and he the worshipped. But as the yoga of devotion develops, as the inner adoration starts, as love sprouts, there is neither the lover nor the loved, but there is only the love. This is the function of yoga. Religions are there which conceive of God in the image of man. It has been humorously remarked that God conceived man in his own image and man returned the compliment. He thinks of his narrow self, his anger, his way of doing things, his way of rewarding, his way of accepting things, flattery, praise, condemnation, anger, and he invests all God with all these qualities, necessarily in a magnified form. God is a magnified man. He punishes. There is fear. He is, he is amenable to flattery. He will weigh the scales in your favor on the day of judgment if only you know how to flatter him. So there are psalms, so there are prayers, 
in which you'd sin merrily all along and then seek to redress the balance by doing charity, by taking his name at the last moment. Now all these are anthropomorphic conceptions, relics of the past. Man today has awakened and he knows that what he thinks is not even the best image of himself. He himself, as he evolves, knows that these are all primitive costumes, psychological and physical, which he has to leave behind. There are philosophers who would point out to you that to think of personal God, to think that by worshipping God you will arrive somewhere and you will seek his grace, is another superstition. They say God is impersonal, God is infinite, God is immutable. And it is a folly of the human mind to conceive of the divine in, in personal terms. Well, if the divine is impersonal, certainly there is no room for love. For what happens in spiritual life when one conceives of the divine as impersonal and one tills the emotion, keeps the mind silent, there is only a settling of calm, of peace, of a deep sense of oneness. That is the culmination of that moment is what the Buddha called Nirvana. Silencing of all movement and activity. Your individual world ceases to be and if everyone were to do that, fortunately they can't succeed, the world would cease to be. Certainly this is not the intention and the purpose of the divine in manifesting the universe. The purpose of man is not salvation, not escape, not bliss, but fulfillment. Fulfillment of the divine purpose on earth, in life. It is true, there is an aspect of the divine which is impersonal. That Sri points out is only to emphasize the freedom of the divine to break out of all the limits of your formation. You think of God the beautiful, you think of God the merciful. Well, there are areas of manifestation where Beauty, power, these do not apply. God es the infinity ex escapes. It is, to es it is to underline the freedom of the divine to escape from formulation in the personal formulas that the formula, that the theory of neti, neti in the uh, Upanishads, not this, not this. Not this means he is not only this. It does not mean this he is not. It means he is much more. He is much more than what you see. He is this plus something else. 
He is this world, but he is not exhausted by the world. If he is only this world, it is sheer paganism and pantheism. He is much more. The one of the ancient verses in the Veda describes that he created the world out of himself and exceeded it by a digit. Only one fourth is here. Three-fourths is above. I am not sure of the arithmetic. But the idea, but the idea is that he exceeds. There is a transcendent. The individual is a reality. The universal is a reality. But above, there is a transcendent. The transcendent is the reality. Also a reality. Normally, the individual is shut up in himself. He does not even have access to the divinity within him, to the individual divine. He has to make a special effort or he has to be gifted by grace to get an opening into the universal divine. Or he has to make an effort by rising upward and shoot upwards into the transcendent. But is it possible? For one person, for an individual, to realize the divine in all the three aspects. Yes, such your window. And that opportunity has been first given to humanity because of the manifestation in Mother. Mother, because she combined all the three embodiments of the divine, the transcendent, the universal, and the individual in herself, she gave a chance to every individual who aspired for it to render that triple realization in one's own life. That possibility, that actuality has not passed with our physical passing, but it has been established on earth as a permanent possibility for everyone who cares to seek for it to realize first God within, God around, and God above. All the three, as you in the put it picturesquely in another way, are three bows to his string. There was, I do not think most of you have seen him, a remarkable saint, a self-realized sage, about 60 miles from here, at Arunachal, what is called Ramanashram, his name was Sri Ramana Maharshi. I have had the privilege of having his darshan more than once. And all that I remember still, that even when I think of him, there is a mountain of peace still over my head. He was one of those Upanishad rishis, who time and again, now and again, step out of the pages of the Upanishad to demonstrate to suffering humanity that there is a self, that there is a divine which it is possible for man to realize and break out of the rounds of birth and death of suffering and ignorance and falsehood. Some busybody 
who was passing from here on his way to some his home broke his journey at ramanashram and knowing full well that that philosophy is different from this philosophy he put the question to maharshi you are saying that god is to be realized the reality maharshi never spoke of god and all that he spoke of reality reality is to be realized by going within but shirovindo says in pondicherry that the supramental consciousness or the reality or whatever name they call it has to come from above has to descend and they are all waiting for it each you must know that each person comes with a particular mission particular destiny particularly when it is a god given mission he is given that vision that perspective that material which is necessary to fulfill that mission he was not a literary man he did not know english he had not bothered to study literature what he spoke was from his experience so the maharshi said but the but the reality is here from where can the reality come what is this up and down i don't understand well that busy body faithfully transmitted that remark to somebody here who also not having anything else to do promptly wrote to the mother what is this all our god realized people and each one speaks a contradictory language when it was put to shirovindo shirovindo read it calmly and he answered that i do not know precisely what the maharshi has said but i do know that the divine has many stations where he posits himself he has he used that classic expression many strings to his bow he is not only within he is around he is above he is below he is everywhere he can sweep over you from any direction that was very convincing there is no contradiction anywhere i do not know i have lost the thread of what i was telling well yes i was saying that it is the mother's embodiment which has given the chance to each individual to realize the divine in all the three poises the transcendent the universal and the individual the impersonal is not the sole truth but the personal also the personal if you ask a person a devotee or a seeker who has had the realization of the divine as a person he will tell you that the impersonal is only the background out of which the personal emerges but it is the personal form 
that is paramount. It is not possible for an aspiring individual to connect himself consciously with what is impersonal, with what is infinite. What can you pray to if there is only an impersonal divine? To whom are you going to pray and who is going to respond? Who is going to help? It is the experience to enable the human consciousness to link itself with the divine, to lift the human out of the present belt of ignorance. The divine takes a personal form and works in a concentrated manner. These are the various personal manifestations which help us to concentrate and converge our movements at one point. The divine is the Lord, is the master, he is the beloved. Once you have that magnet, center of reference, the rest is a natural unfolding. It is all right for a man of knowledge, for the jnanin to scoff that love is a concession to the ignorant. It is also understandable if the man of love who knows the divine only through love were to condemn the man who seeks knowledge as a dry as dust philosopher, who knows only dry knowledge. Well, these are all partial truths. It is easy for us who are following the broad, many aspected teaching of Sri Aurobindo and the Mother to appreciate the role of each path, the role of each way towards the blossoming of divine life. And in that, love has a capital role to play. There are two or three other points which I shall sum up. Even in the yoga of love, nobody pretends that everybody starts with the purest of emotions, with the purest of motives. Man is an evolving being. So first, there is thrown the lure of desire, the lure of earthly satisfaction. Man starts praying to God, thinking of God, asking of Him things that He wants, and the divine gives. Until a man turns to spiritual life, every sincere prayer is answered in the terms in which things are sought. There was a saint on the western coast of India who is, was known and is still known 50 years after his passing to grant the worldly desires of his devotees. Anything that you ask from a child to a palace, in some way or other he will give. And when he was asked, you are a man of God, instead of asking people to give up their desires, instead of denying them and giving them a shock and waking them to the higher reality, why is it that you are granting their worldly desire? He said, I give them what they want so that 
they may begin to ask what i want and it is true that after the first wave of satisfaction by the divine bequest is spent out one awakes why it is happening how it is happening one begins to be ashamed of oneself one begins to deprecate give up little by little the emphasis on physical and earthly satisfactions you all know the story of a thief who had been to steal fruits in a garden a wealthy man's garden and when he was busy with his operations attracted by the sound number of people from the house the garden the servants rushed and he saw all the ways of escape were closed so he thought in a moment he had a brain wave he cast aside all his clothes elsewhere and he sat cross legged and shut his eyes when people came with lanterns torches and flames to find out the thief they saw a holy man sitting then they went and woke up the owner the owner the wife owner's wife came with flowers incense they burnt it around the next day morning the town the news spread to the town and there was a whole procession of people coming and going going down putting coconuts giving money the whole where the mountain of fruits lemons flowers and that man he was really moved i said what is this i am not a holy man i am a fake holy man and the whole world is coming giving its homage to me supposing i were really a holy man and that day he changed his life he stopped becoming his profession he took to sanyas he walked away leaving all those a great movement of renunciation place and we do not know what happened afterwards but the moral is obvious where whichever way you start the god waits to give you the touch i know when i was a student about uh, 40 about 40 years ago there was a picture of a great maharashtrian saint tukaram he was a man free from egoism self regard all of us have it potentially in us to develop into lovers of god into those who know god as love and through love 